dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the 12th episode of the second season of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale. This one's called Postpartum. Postpartum. Okay. So for those of you out there who have not had kids, you may not have heard that. It's potentially possible. Basically means after you have the baby. So we all saw in the last episode that June did successfully give birth to Holly and we left basically with a car pulling up. Who do we think that car was, Paul? Anybody. Just guardians. I believe it was just the local guardians uh, called to investigate a gunshot. We do have a time jump here, and we know that because we are able to see Serena Joy bathing the baby, and there's a kind of a close-up on the baby's uh, torso, and we have a very healed belly button area. So that is your indicator that it has been probably at least a week, maybe two weeks, just because it was very clean and healthy looking. So no umbilical cord. Still dangling around there for that little baby face. See, moms know this kind of stuff. Dads are like, well, baby buttons have, you know, stuff. But I couldn't ever like, it's like aging a tree with rings or something like that. <laughs> it's the healing of the, you had, of the belly button. You had three of these little guys. You know, you know what's up. But what happens, you guys, in case you don't know, if, is that there typically is like a little kind of sad, little dried up looking twig hanging off of that belly button area where the umbilical cord dries up and then just naturally falls off. That takes It takes a little bit. It's different for everybody because it depends on, you know, if it brushes up against something or if it, you know, whatever, it, it can it can fall off sooner than later. So we're just guessing there's a there's a little bit of a, of a time jump. Not much, just a little bit. Long enough for them to rename this baby. Yeah. Paul, what did you think about the fact that this Waterfords chose Nicole, especially given the fact that the presumed father is Nick. You know, I just totally missed that. I think that's crazy. That makes, I mean, if that, that was Serena's idea, then she is a horrible, horrible person. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's just naming the baby after her father. Wow. Wow. Especially because if you guys don't watch with closed caption, we do. Nicholas is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, right? Yes. The way they spell Nicole in this one, the typical way you spell Nicole is N-I-C-O-L-E, right? That's like 99.9% of the world. Exactly. They spell it N-I-C-H-O-L-E. Whoa. Like, exactly, Nicholas, I'm just saying. Pretty. See, crazy. And I agree. I think it I probably was Serena Joy, and I think it was a hard screw in the ribbies to <laughs> Frederick. Friedrich. Friedrich. All right. So we start with a milk shortage. They did go through with that separation that June's got to get right out of the house. I am so curious how they explained any of this. I, how do you feel about the fact that they just walked right past the fact that she gave birth alone in a house? That she wasn't supposed to be at and all this kind of stuff. Like, There's no commentary on this. Very, very, very little, right? 
there's some stuff later about, you know, getting some more details about hiding in the house and all that kind of stuff. But there's a scene where they're in Fred's office. He and Nick are going back and forth about, you know, the new job and the commander clearing up just that quote unquote misunderstanding about what Nick was doing at that house with the other guardians. It was just like a top-down, yeah. hush kind of situation. It, it really made me wonder, like, okay, so there's there's two different, like, sections. There's, like, within the Waterford household, you have, like, all the weirdness of, like, where was June when they came together and all that kind of stuff. But then there was, like, the bigger picture of, like, Guardians were involved in taking Nick away and like the larger Gilead picture. So perhaps Fred just wields a much bigger stick now. That is basically what I was coming to the conclusion was that the reason why they weren't acting like this was any big deal is because, frankly, he has control of Gilead now and he can decide what is a big deal and what is not a big deal. Well, we knew that after the explosion, the power vacuum would suck him up, right? Yes. And the big office that that, that he has now kind of implies that he got sucked way way up what do you think about that gigantic office it looked like a judge's chambers or something like they put on tv you know palace man right like if the ceilings were insanely high like it looked nuts i mean i would say it's safe to say that the waterfords are like royalty at this point as close as gilead lets you get tell me something about mothering how true is this just hearing your baby cry will prime the pump to such an extent that you have a mess like um like poor june had at the red center chapel it's completely true and in fact it's like a sort of like a a danger to hear any baby cry because it doesn't have to be your own and that's the kind of the thing that is probably a little fictitious about that part was that really she didn't have to be necessarily around Holly. She just needed to be around a baby, really. And if they had even a way to do like even a recording, there's probably a fair chance that if they played a baby crying, that would have even worked. And I mean, we know that they have records and such. And it's not like this is this goes down to one of those things where it's like, how strict is Gilead? I mean, they're not Amish. They do use electricity. They do have different you know, like pieces of technology. So it's kind of funny that like sometimes it's like, you know, you think, well, like, well, they couldn't do that. It's like, why couldn't they do that? Is there a rule that you can't record? Uh, You know, like, so I I mean, it's sometimes it's funny. Well, it's a lot less dramatic that way. That's for sure. Certainly. So, I mean, I, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, for our family, I mean, we had um, two, our twins were in the NICU for six months. And so supply wise that that was extremely complicated because i was so far away from the girls but what they did is like a hospital they offer a pumping room so that if you are away like that you can be like near enough by in theory like it's not like i had the girls with me but near enough by more like how june ultimately ends up being in the house but not with the baby, mm-hmm. you know, you're sort of nearby and that does help. I mean, there's a lot of hormones and wacky stuff that goes on between mom and baby that you you can't really appreciate. It's like not something you can see and it's just, it's, it's not something you even want in terms of like your milk just suddenly coming in like that. Like, I mean. Oh, no, I could see why not. Yeah. I mean, but that, but it happens like it, ha- it happens all the time, all the time. I mean, there's all kinds of undergarment uh, stuff that, that women wear to try to control, at, at least from the standpoint of like ruining their shirts and stuff, you know? Any, I mean, I don't have this equipment. So tell me, was there ever any hope of Serena Joy's experience? 
experiment in breastfeeding. Okay, so I've heard of mothers doing this who adopt babies where they do there are medications that you can take that induce lactation and there are like even some herbs that you can that and since she's a greenhouse girl that would be more an herb that you can do that that actually does encourage a milk supply and if she had a pump and she was doing all of those things in theory Really, in theory, I have heard of adoptive moms being able to breastfeed their babies. So, in theory, it would work, but certainly not just like, I mean, I, I couldn't do anything right now today. If someone brought a baby <laughs> to me, I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, what I honestly thought she was doing in that moment and what some people actually do do who do breastfeed and stuff is some people use nursing also as like a pacifier. So the baby was crying a whole lot. And I, I know it sounds really, really crazy, but a lot of people, you know, put like your pinky in the baby's mouth or whatever, just to like let them suck on something. Cause that's what they're doing. I have a degree in child development. So the sucking kind of situation that they're doing, that is about brain development. And so when they're like yearning to do that, it's it's not it's not gross. It's not weird. It's not anything. It's it's truly it's a need in order to develop their brains properly. So it's not it's not so weird. But I mean, obviously, in that situation, it was crazy. You know, I mean, you know what it absolutely 100% reminded me of? And we've already referred to this this movie several times. And the Rock's a Cradle? Yeah, because she does the same thing. But if you remember, she kept up her milk supply. Now, in that situation, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, her baby doesn't make it. And so she had milk, in theory, at one point, And she continues to pump in order to keep up a supply after a baby has passed. So Right, that's the so, sort of thing where if you uh if you keep using it, it it keeps coming, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Some people breastfeed for like 2 years or more. I mean, some people do it for a really long time. And so it's very healthy for everybody, including mom. Like it actually helps you it actually makes your uterus contract, which makes it go back down to the normal size that you would want it to go back to. So it's like a healthy recovery thing as well for for many people. And I mean, we used both both. We also used bottles and formula and stuff like that. So zero knock on that. That's, you know, right. gotta we, do what you gotta do. We're not one of those families that are hard set on no. breastfeeding. Do you, we're more everybody like feeding. does everybody, feeding's the big deal. Yeah, and everybody should do what makes sense. And that's kind of what we were at with the Waterfords in June, honestly, was like, everybody can have their feelings about things, but at the end of the day, we're gonna need to do what makes sense. Even though this was a very awkward situation to have June move back into the house, and I was quite surprised that Lydia made that suggestion. I, I didn't know how this was going to work, but obviously we knew there had to be a reason why June would get back into the house. Cause otherwise like, where's our story? You know, if we have the Waterfords and June separated, first of all, who are we following? Because we've never really just followed the Waterfords. Right, you know, we've yeah. always followed them through June's eyes. We ha we did have some though in this episode, that was kind of a change. A little bit. Yeah. But, but I would say most of this episode is June's, still June's tale. Um, yeah, 100%. And I mean, yes, over over the seasons, we have had moments where we were like in places that June isn't, you know, right. and yet we're still being told the story. That's always been a little bit of a, of a confusing factor about this show. It's kind of a cheat. Yeah. And that and that it's very much they they present it as a as a first person narrative kind of situation where it's only June that is telling us. And a lot of times we don't get to know what's going on with other handmaids or we don't get to know what's going on elsewhere in Gilead because how could we? It's just June's point of view, right? Yeah. But then yet we 
do see other scenes where June couldn't know that those things were happening or those things were being said. But they make it much more dramatic when we know, for instance, she's being summoned to the bedroom for very nefarious purposes, right? Exactly. So, I mean, we have to do those things. I I recognize that. But it does, I mean, I know if you guys have read the book, I mean, it's her tale is her tale, you know, and just hers alone. There is no other point of view. So then when you you put it into a TV format, obviously, you know, we're trying to expand the world a little bit and try to make sure that it's like full of interesting things for us to see. It can't just be June. But it does make the narration a little bit confusing because it's like, what's real? What's her perception of what's happening? You know, the way that the book deals with moments that June did not perceive firsthand is that either before or after she says something along the lines of, I imagine that it worked out like this or something like that. So like Moira escaping or whatever, she has a whole narrative in her mind of how it probably went down, even though she didn't. She didn't see it and she never got confirmation. See, and that's very clever because obviously then the author doesn't have to write the book from all these multiple points of view or explain why we would have all these points of view. But in a TV setting, it's like, I think you just kind of take for granted that it's like, well, sometimes we're not in there with June, but you know, we're still sort of just watching overall. Speaking of other people's point of view, we got a glimpse at the aforementioned gigantic new office but the thing that i wanted to point out in that office was a the survival of nick and b the new portrait that he asks nick to hang up for him i know my god like way to put the screws to nick right like why don't you just hang that up right there yeah picture of my perfect little family and it's like oversized and somehow they've had this baby just a couple of weeks and they've already managed to like commission this I assume it's a photograph, but I don't know. I bet it could be like a painting. That wouldn't actually be that crazy. I mean, we haven't actually seen people take pictures, but we have seen people paint. Mm. So I don't know. It was definitely a portrait of some sort, but it, it did seem very overstated. We've been watching this other completely unrelated show called Shit's Creek. And there's an episode where they get a portrait of themselves that they that they inherit back from their previous life of being very very, very rich people. And this portrait reminded me of that a little bit because it was so big. It was just so big. Yes. Very ostentatious, one might say. One might if they had a larger vocabulary than (laughs) so and big. So I I felt like, you know, we understood that Nick was just sort of mushing back into the mix again, but things are not going well for Nick back at the home front with his wife. Oh, you mean the part where she's run off? And like is seeking advice from June and being all like, what do you think I should do? And June, do you think she knew? Do you think she knew the advice she was giving when she gave it? No, I don't think so. I think she meant sneak around. I don't think she meant cause a gigantic scene about it. But do you think she knew she was talking about Isaac? She knew she was talking about like, you know, being outside of her marriage, like all that kind of stuff. Do you think that she knew what she was telling Eden to do when she said, oh, you should just grab happiness wherever you can find it or love, if you will? That part, maybe so, because I mean, she and Isaac and Eden have all been going on these shopping trips and she has, we have seen through June's eyes that she has seen them looking at each other in very longing glances, teenager-y kind of ways. Maybe you're onto something. I don't think 
it was like, you know, go get yourself killed advice. It was just. Well, of course not. I don't think that June wanted her killed, but I do wonder if she knew that Eden was so innocent and so immature that she would make a move so big as she did. Right. So let's talk about what Eden and Isaac were up to in this episode. We had seen this concept of feet dangling in a pool since the trailer for season two started. And we had no idea. We knew it was like dark legs and someone in a white dress, but we didn't know if it was June and Nick or Eden and Nick, or we thought Isaac could come into play once he came on the scene, but we didn't really know who this was going to be. And now we finally get our answer. In Gilead, we have pool justice. What did you think when, you know, Nick is is telling, he's trying to coach Eden through this and they're in a locker room? Huh. Did you notice that? Yeah, they were. I don't know what I think about that. Do you, do you, were you taking it like a pep talk, like a coach? What, well, what were I, you taking it like? I was taking it like, yes, he was coaching her, but I was also thinking, Nick, you're in the locker room. It's too late. You are in, it doesn't matter what she says. The whole concept of Gilead punishment that we have seen so far has been very public. You know, they maim people that they have to walk around with as like a badge of what they've done wrong, or they hang you in your front yard, or they hang you on the wall. And here we have this pool where I wonder if this is more like a shame or something that Gilead doesn't even want to let out basically. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, they have a lot of people watching. But you know what the difference is? I mean, for the most part, a lot of the other people who got killed on the wall or hanging or whatnot, they were people who were breaking the law in a way that like you wanted to make sure that other people didn't do it. And and in this way, I felt like I see what you're saying about the shame part, because Eden grew up in this society, in theory, as much as one could, and Isaac Guardian. And so like you almost don't want to advertise that people like that, people who are supposed to be the the stability of this structure, could bend and could be weak and could make a wrong choice. You know, I mean, I know that we did it with commanders and I know that that they did it and stuff. So don't get me wrong, but it's like, there's something about this that I, I agree with you. There's like a shame factor. Here's the thing. I know you were saying it was too late to say anything. But they um, had a chance to renounce. But they did have a chance to renounce, which I don't feel we saw anyone else being given that chance. So there was something unique about this. It's funny that you call it pool justice because it reminds me of that community episode where they had put the conference table also within the pool uh, area. And so then when they were trying to have like a student hearing, then every once in a while, like water would splash onto the table because people <laughs> were swimming in the pool. And it kind of makes me think of that. Like we're That's having funny. a hearing in the pool complex. That's funny. It's kind of funny. So the interesting part that I found several things. One, obviously we had Serena Joy sitting there with the baby, you know, and so now she's in her mother world, you know? Yeah. When the woman called out to Eden and you realize that's Eden's mother. Right. It was like, this is heartbreaking. Like they brought her parents here to to have this moment. This is heartbreaking. Again, sort of much more like the psychological punishment, the shaming that was happening to like pretty much everybody who was in the bleachers had some shame factor in this, like her own family and the water for household. And like, I don't know, there was something much more than just like an individual being punished. I thought so too, by bringing the family and like the audience, it was big, but it wasn't like the, what they call it, the prayer 
Vaganza or whatever it was. Oh yeah, no, not this like was, that. I think what you're, I think what I'm agreeing with here is that this audience seemed like the people there had some kind of interest. Yeah. In this, yeah, it was the Waterford household. It was Eden's parents. It was somebody else. I bet everybody else in there had some kind of glancing way to know just who it was being drowned that day. Yes, this it seemed more personal in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was also interesting is how many of those weight were down in the bottom of the pool. And, you know, as pool owners, I would like to point out that someone is like cleaning and chlorinating this pool on the regular because that was a crystal clear pool. Right. No algae. That was was a nice pool. Yet they're using it for like drownings on the, I mean, why would you bother to clean the pool if you were just killing people in it? I don't know. It seems like, it seems like you would only clean the pool if you were also having swim lessons like on Tuesdays and Thursdays and killings like Wednesdays and Fridays, you know, (laughs) like it seems like just when we go down to the bottom kids, like just avoid the weights, you know? Right. There's like commander Tim Tom is like, uh, I thought swim team was today. And he has like a bunch of like 11 year olds (laughs) (laughs) wandering behind. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, it, it would not surprise me because it's a very like 1950s exercise to me to like go swim, especially for like adult men. That seems like to me, very mad men, very Don Draper, very Mr. Rogers, if you will, to like go swim laps. Yeah. That it it does seem like they probably do utilize that pool. Uh, all of the men are very, you know, sleek and slim and trim kind of guys for the most part. So I don't know. I, I found that whole area to be very interesting. I really felt like it made an impact on Serena Joy. Finally, I feel like we saw a little bit of like a, oh my God, out of her. I felt really awful for Nick in a lot of ways about this and that like, I felt like he was trying to do the right thing. It was so many highs and lows, you know? I mean, like he had a moment in the red center in the chapel area where he actually gets to see Holly and June all at the same time. And there's like, sort of like this, like kind of like little breaks, like, oh, that's like a little bit, little bit good, you know? And then you yet now you have, like, obviously, this insane moment where he has to deal with all of this, you know, the fact that his wife had an affair and and she was like very point blank with him. Like, if you would have just like shown me love and been, you know, loving towards me, you know, I, this could have worked out, I think, originally. Now, she threw her heart into Isaac and was basically by the end like, sorry, I love Isaac. I don't want to have a family with you anyway. Well, first, I was going to say that. There's no like bright and shining version of the right thing here for for Nick, you know, because he's got the wife, but the wife's a sham and it's a kid and all this. And it's and he's got the the handmaid, but he definitely can't do anything about that in a serious way. And so what decision is he is he to make? And he he does the best that he can with this trying to coach the girl out of killing herself. But. It's is, too little, too late by it that is, point. It is. and But you're, to your point about if he'd just shown her love, I mean, that's not really like a switch. He could have shown her quite a bit more kindness. It wasn't like he I was mean, but- I think you could have treated her like like a friend or like a roommate, you know, like an, like an unlikely pairing that just like, I understand that is this wicked gross marriage thing, but I do think that there's parts of this that he has to regret in terms of just like being cold to her. Yeah. Like, I mean, she was ripped away from our family. She was 15. She was a person who was alone in this world too. There really was no reason to make her feel like ostracized or isolated or something. You know, he could have been kind to her, you know, and and 
not like he was actively mean, but he certainly wasn't welcoming, you know? Right, yeah. And, and they were both in a, a dead-end situation. So it's not like she could be like, oh, okay, you don't want me here. I'll just leave. Like, she didn't have any choices either. So, yeah, I felt I felt for him. And I did, uh, you know, June trying to console him was a total no-go. That wasn't happening at all. Before we uh, leave the Waterford house, there was a scene featuring June and Fred in the kitchen where we got to see season one Fred flare up <laughs> like a bad rash. Tell me something. Was there anything he's done so far that made your skin crawl as much as this scene? Because it really got to me this whole saying thanks or showing thanks or all that um, that he was trying to get her to play along and it was i don't know like you've said different things about him being gross or disgusting but i haven't really felt that as much as until now i think that i was extremely proud of june for finding a way to be like yeah sure i'd be happy to thank you with a scrabble game um and like whatever else could you possibly want you nasty old thing i mean let's be real she just gave birth in Probably an extremely strenuous uh, way, meaning like, you know, if there's episiotomies and all kinds of ways that they can like make things better um, during labor and delivery, this was not the case for her. So, I mean, any kind of even insinuation of like sexuality right now is like, slow down, you know, there's nothing here. Even if that would have been remotely appropriate, which it's not because she's not supposed to get pregnant with another kid, you know, like this is not what's supposed to be happening with the Waterfords right now. So what in the hell, Fred? Like, God, he's so weird, Paul. He's just so weird. I was, power. I was scared, though, when he said the part about like, where were you in the house? Like, where were you hiding? Uh, I really did not know where that all was going. That felt like one of those post-event so it's almost like cops and robbers where they're like so where were you just come on i mean there's nothing at stake anymore you can just tell me and because i just gotta know i'm dying of curiosity over here See, do you think it was smart for her to share such a thing or should she have just been like i don't know i was passed out i was in such painful labor like do you think it was actually smart no but she right- liked to show off she likes I to know and that's the part though that i think where people get angry with june where people are like you're just poking the bear to poke the bear at this point like they're really sort of in the same way that it's like nick you could have just been nice to that girl she didn't have a choice but to be in your house june you, you shouldn't say that you were actively hiding from the commander <laughs> that just seems like a good way to get yourself in trouble and i know there's a whole lot of like nanny 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 that happens with them but i just don't think that it's like june why why do you feel the need to do that i i can understand why viewers get upset well speaking of not supposed to be having any more babies with the waterfords we all know that june's gonna have a new posting her pal emily does actively have a new posting. What a crazy character this new commander is. Commander Commander Joseph Lawrence. He is a familiar face because you've seen him. If you watch the West Wing, he was one of those guys, but he looks <laughs> a lot older now than he did then. What a weird 
guy. He is super hard for me to figure out just on this episode. He has so much personality, but not in a good way, Paul. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of flavor to this guy. Whereas, like, I would consider every other wife and uh, commander that we've met to be vanilla as hell. This guy is Rocky Road, man. He has got all the nuts and the crazy swirls of madness and whatnot. He is so flavorful as a character and it really piques my interest. I mean, they they shared between the Lydia Emily conversation that, you know, it turns out he was like a major architect of Gilead, which makes you really hate him in a lot of ways. And when you see the Martha with oh the eye taken out, God. you're like, oh, this guy's a hard ass. Jesus. Yeah, and that is so weird. And she acts so strange because she's like swearing. Yeah. Like she's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like you're like going in like the Mad Hatter's house or something. And obviously right away, aesthetically, all of the art on the walls completely different feel than any other commander's home that we've been in. So there was just so much about him that was What did was you like, think about the oh. art? I mean, I thought it was like someone that liked art picked those pieces, but didn't care that they didn't really go together. I thought that all of them were a little bit disturbing and a little bit like, like they were meant to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Kind of like Commander Lawrence. Yeah, like they reflected <laughs> him very much. So like while they didn't all go together, they all had that. Do you know that feeling that you get when, did you remember when the exorcist came back out and they did that preview all the time where she would walk backwards down the stairs like a spider? Yeah, you get that feeling of wrongness. Yes, that feeling of like, this isn't natural. <laughs> this isn't natural. It's not natural. That feeling that you get, that's what I get when I am like around commander lawrence and his art like i feel very much like the amount of books that he had out and and everything that was going on that really just seemed like his house was like in such disarray as compared to the waterfurs or the putnam's house that we've seen where it's like so like antiseptic just nothing you know there's nothing there he's more like like Doc Brown. <laughs> He's a lot. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Like this quality about him is like you would think of it predominantly negative, but it's a little bit this like mad scientist-esque feel. But like we know what one of his experiments turned out like and it's really fucked up and hurting a lot of people. So you want to hate his guts. But then at the same time, you're like, what is this guy about? You know, we don't actually have first hand experience with of his of anything except for gilead itself of a reason to hate this guy you know we see the martha with one eye but we don't know that story but she's allowed to have a lot of personality where rita gets slapped for the, the things that june does wrong well you know? i thought too that though there was a part of him that seemed this is so strange he was more scary in many ways than the waterfers because he has that quality that's like you don't know where you stand with him. You don't know where the boundary lines are exactly. And so in that regard, it makes you feel very much like I'm scared to like, like how Emily like looked down and was kind of looking at the books. And then he comes in and he's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, did you just read that? Because you know what the punishment is for that? That was a weird conversation because I didn't know which way he leaned. I, that's what I mean. It's like that whole, I don't know where I stand with you. I'm not sure if I'm getting in trouble right now or if you're mocking me. That good old days comment. I couldn't so tell if weird. it was serious or sarcastic 
or what? Because was that the good old days? Is that what he thought of as the good I old days when, when they took your hand for reading? Or was he being like, yeah, those quote unquote good old days, right? I have no idea. No idea at all. Although I do know that conversations like that, when they talk about things like that, really make me feel like there's like foreshadowing going involved. Like you don't talk about that kind of stuff and don't act on it. That's a very Chekhov's gun kind of thing. You know, you don't say, oh, do you know what the punishment is for X, Y, Z? And then everybody just walks away. So I'm spooked for Emily because I don't know what that means. Like, does a punishment lord over your head later? I don't know. Or why Why are we having to talk about what the punishment for reading is for women? What are we doing here? Well, if this conversation got you spooked, then the summoning Post bizarre wife meetup. Oh, let's, well, talk let's about, cover the let's yeah, cover the let's wife before the, the summoning. Wife. Yeah. So I mean, the whole concept of like the only reason why you should be having a handmaid is because you're trying to make a baby, right? And because you have a wife who wants to be raising this baby. This wife was. Here's the crazy thing. I can't say she was crazy Mm-mm. because. She was actually just one of us, right? She was the voice of reason, but it was wrapped up in a package that made you try to think like, oh, is she crazy? And it's like when you heard her words, you're like, wait a minute, she's saying that he's a bad person because he started this society and he's hurting people. And wait a minute, she's the reasonable one who's getting locked in the bedroom and all these bad things are happening. So what an amazing character this wife is, this opportunity to have somebody who is in the no be like what's your real name and you know what else is going on with you and like talking in a way that you're like i've not gotten to see a wife act like this i've not gotten to see someone on the inside who wasn't a person who was what we would consider like the lower class people like she's a wife you know, she's Naomi, she's Serena, and she's over here being like, this is fucked up, people, you know, and like yelling at Joseph. Of all the new characters uh, this season, I got to admit, I, I want to know a lot more about the wife because is she crazy? Because the way that he's, he pushes her away and, and, and puts her back in her room makes me wonder, is he protecting her from him <laughs> or is he, is he protecting her from knowing something or, or doing something or is, or is it more like just for her own protection is she being put into her room because she needs a padded room i don't think it's that i think if it's she something does else. need a padded room it's only because of how insane the society is it's not because i think she is a crazy person it's that i i, I don't know it's she is intriguing as hell i agree with you wholeheartedly as is the entire Lawrence household that like deranged kind of Martha who's like all wiggy like she's interesting to me you know Commander Lawrence is interesting to me the wife is interesting to me this whole thing is fascinating so as I mentioned before the wife meeting happens right as uh, he's summoning her down to go to talk well Uh, we think he's summoning for the ceremony or something it's something unusual and something unusual does happen he wants to know all this backstory about her, which, you know, you're not really supposed to act like you did anything before the founding of Gilead, basically, if you're not, well, basically, if you're anybody, right? You're not supposed I, I to really think, talk about I, it and mention right, it. Right, right. Again, that's one of those weird things that it's like an unwritten rule, right? Like, you know, sometimes, like when Serena Joy referenced the fact that June had been a publisher or an editor, it was like, 
are we supposed to talk about this? Like, yeah, am I allowed right. to say this or not allowed to say this? And, you know, that kind of stuff is like, it's always a bit of a mystery because it's not out and out forbidden, it seems. It's just really frowned upon. And Emily is way smart. I mean, she's very smart, probably probably the smartest person on the show. And she doesn't <laughs> bite right away, even though he's throwing a lot of factoids about her life back at her to be like uh, in, inducing her to, to try to say something, correct him or fill in the blanks. And all the while, as a viewer, I'm thinking, why are you asking all these questions? What's, what's, what, what, what's your, what do you, what's your game, Joey? And he's not being like, like, it's not a neutral way he's talking to her. Like a lot of the stuff that he's saying, I mean, when he references the genital mutilation part, I mean, he is beyond creepy. And like, uh, yeah, and, and like, I really, again, when I say like, he's one of those people where you have no idea where you stand. And when he asked if she was healing, okay, it was like, what is happening right now? I mean, how this, I mean, really, honestly, how this show managed to bring in like a whole nother layer of like psychological voodoo on all of us. The Lawrence household brings it, Paul. I mean, Wow. Is it? Or since it's Joey Lawrence, I should say, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I mean, he talked about the genital mutilation like he was just talking about a jammed finger or something, you know? Like, is that is that <sighs> is that healing? Is that okay? You know, like, dude. Um, I would- a, it's not something you really bring up, but B, the way you're you're handling it is very cold and. I, I don't know how to feel about Say that he was handling it almost like a scientist. Scientists. Like this was like an experiment. He is like collecting data. So it's like this this sort of like off-putting neutrality that is like you don't talk about sensitive matters about people's bodies and something so insane as this in a neutral way like if you're going to bring up something like that there is a level of like compassion and privacy and empathy that comes with it that if you are just acting like you're collecting data on somebody that is not going to work out i mean everybody's going to be really really upset about that i was upset for her I was too. I mean, I felt like, you know, you didn't think you could take more away from Emily than all that has happened to her. And yet there was something about those questions and especially that section that seemed like, how can you take any more of this woman's dignity? You know, like it was so humiliating and you didn't think the woman could sink any lower, you know, I mean, honestly. And yet this just seemed like you're like hoping she cracks. You kind of understand how Mrs. Lawrence got to where she was. (laughs) <laughs> right. You don't understand how it is these two ever got together, but you do understand why she's a basket case now. I thought it was interesting when he said that his wife had been an art professor. And it's so in a way, if he was like a scientist type, which I don't really know what his background was, and she was like a like in art and stuff like that, then there's something about them with this sort of like creative with a twist, if you will, version of them that I could understand how you could get together. Like there's something if you tried to be like, well, it's like an experiment about the human condition or it's, you know, if you tried to think about it like that, then it's like, well, art and science can really link up. You know, you really can do that. I could see him if uh, Lydia credits him as the architect of what was it? The Gilead economy. Was that it? think yes that is right so, i think that of eco- the economy yes and then i mean his house and his bearing and his 
attitude really fits with being an, a professor also. He doesn't admit that, but he seems very academic. He doesn't seem like he went to Wall Street every day. He seems more like he taught at BU or something, you know, economics or something like that. Okay. And was a and was like-minded with the other founders of Gilead and they liked what he had to say about this way that this economy could run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could see where he might get in that way, but not actually be like a where he would be a professor rather than a practitioner. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, it really feels like this was an experiment that he was a part of. Like, just let's see what happens if you put people in and you just fill in fill in the blanks. Like put them in uniforms, tell them one's higher than another like screw with their with their rights with their with all these different what if you what if you redefine the relationship between husband wife and you have this third party and just like all these weird parts that you messed with what would you end up with and that's where i mean i feel like that that the lawrence household is really interesting i i hope that we get more of a chance to learn more about these this whole household. I want to know everybody. I want to know the Martha. I want to know the wife. I want to know everything that's going on in this house because it's so different than anything we've seen. And like a much needed breath of fresh air in a funky way. Like, so when I say fresh, I don't mean like fun fresh, <laughs> but I mean fresh, like we need some other angles on this story. We need some other ways to understand how everyone got where they were. What are other people's reaction to this? Like the wife's reaction, even this commander's reaction, the Martha's reaction, like they represent slices of life that we haven't seen. We haven't seen a Martha who acts out and yells out and does things, you know, like it's intriguing and far more interesting to add these characters to the story. Especially like uh, we've been trying to figure out, you know, how the government works in, in different ways. And, this is the first time we've seen Commander Lawrence. There may be people who will go and pull screenshots of him being in like every major commander gathering, but I think this is the first time we've seen Commander Lawrence. That would be really interesting to go back and do. And listeners, that's your homework. To me, that implies, if that's true, that he is a respected, like almost forefather. But he's not involved with government now. I like that very much. And and to that forefather type of um, untouchable kind of feeling where like he's allowed to do and say a lot of things that nobody is going to question, even though they technically might not be exactly what we all agreed to do. It's kind of fine because like he came up with this wonderful concept. Right. You right. know, so then we just he has like a pass. Right. Like I bet and I bet it was like, well, he is Ben Franklin, you know, <laughs> like if he did, if Ben ever did anything eccentric, it was like, well, you know, OK. Oh, I think Ben was a little like, I mean, it was like a womanizer and a drinker. And I mean, a lot of kind of stuff, but he did other stuff, too. Right. Well, he is so Ben Franklin. You just kind of look away. Right? right. So I don't know. This episode, I know that a lot of people had, you know, ups and downs with this episode. Some feeling like there wasn't enough that happened. Some feeling extremely emotional about this one. I think a lot depends on where you are in your own life. If you are someone who has breastfed a baby and you you're going back to that whole section about June being separated from the baby and all those times, I think that it could really scratch deep into you about, you know, your own personal things that are going on with your life. And then I think that everything with Eden and this like, you know, this young life and 
how tragic and everything this all is. And again, I may, I feel like it makes you hate the water first. It's like so much more, you know? Oh, it doesn't help that cause. We do see some cracks in SJ, such as the, the closing scene is she does finally allow June to breastfeed. Which, why do you think she does that? What It felt like a combination of rationalizations that could be partly greater good, like we need the baby fed. Maybe be having been impacted by seeing, you know, someone's daughter put to death earlier that day. She just couldn't handle her facade anymore. And so she cracked, you know, and plus the baby needed to be fed anyway. So that's that's what I got from it. Like not purely one thing or the other, like a mixture. I think that's fair. I think that Serena Joy is one of those characters that we've talked about in previous episodes where she's not just complicated. She's actually complex. And there's parts to her that definitely I think hindsight will be 2020 for her character when we really look back and say, oh, I see how that got to that point. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. As you're living it with her, you're like, you're a nightmare, you know, <laughs> but, right. I, but I think there's probably a little bit more uh, cause and effect stuff happening that we haven't been able to put all the pieces together yet because we're not privy to the conversations between Fred and Serena. We don't know how have all these nights been with the baby? How have all the day, you know, like we don't mm-hmm. really know how it's really been going, except for that, like Rita has offered to, to hold the baby or, you know, offered to help with the baby. And it seems like Serena Joy is struggling in finding her her footing as the baby's, you know, sole caretaker. It's just this is a complex situation with a lot of moving parts. And I think that that's how this episode felt to me. Like there was a lot of moving parts in it. Maybe no one individual part stuck out. It just depends on who you are and what your perspective is. For me, I was most drawn to Emily's story because I really am so much more curious about the history of Gilead than really I am about like, I'm sorry for Eden and that was all sad, but it it's really speaking to where I think SJ was heading anyway. You know, mm-hmm. it, it pushed it and it definitely pushed the plot along. But I'm really curious about this brand new subject that they brought in with the Lawrence household. How about you? I will remember this episode as the one where they killed Eden and Isaac. Really, that one, that's the part that stood out to me more than the baby stuff or the Emily stuff, because we just got just like a very tantalizing morsel of Emily and Commander Lawrence enough to know we need to see a lot more <laughs> to, to, you know what I mean yeah. um, but the the baby stuff was not not as interesting to me as as more that Eden Isaac Gilead kind of stuff I was just remembering that it was about this point you know this season's longer than last season but it was about this kind of same point in last season kind of story arc wise where we got what was supposed to be Janine's stoning, right? Yes. And so that was, it's like, like this is like punishment point of the story. Right, right, right. (laughs) That's what I was getting at. Like, like it's time on her third season, they're going to be, you know, like electrocuting nipples or something. Oh no. 12th episode or, you know, something also 
bizarre and i'm really revved up looking for the uh, looking forward to the finale are there any things that you hope to see or anything that you don't want to see i don't want to see the mid-season prediction of serena joy and june teaming up for a thelma and louise style escape out of gilead i think june deserves a better partner than that and i would like to see june hightail it out of there again do you think that that's a that's a legit possibility i mean she has been all over the map this season in terms of well you know i can rationalize leaving hannah i can rationalize having the baby born here well this that and the other and and she's changed her mind as she goes on on those things she's in process i think she stands the best chance of positive change if she herself is free However, uh, she may see it another way next episode, given some new input. I really thought that we were going to lose Nick about this point in time because it felt like between him getting picked up by the Guardians last week and then now this whole situation with Eden, it seemed like enough bricks had stacked against him by now that like there would be some actual damage to Nick. Like maybe he was going to come back with like an ear missing or an eye out or something like that, because it just seems weird at this point that he's managed to get through this like unscathed. How is that possible? Only that the commander covered for him in, in a in a very like stop asking questions kind of way that now he has enough power. I mean, the way that he's acting, he is a commander at the top of the of the org chart who now has a baby. I guess this is like everything you need for stature in Gilead. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just surprised about Nick. I'm just surprised about Nick. And I guess maybe Nick knows enough of Fred's secrets that it's just keep your enemies closer, right? Ah, a very interesting idea. I mean, certainly Nick does. Nick's got plenty of dirt on Fred, but I mean, Fred could just pull out a gun. End it right now. I mean, and they and just no have questions to let Nick asked. Talk. Like, well, yeah, he's ever, a traitor. Yeah, okay. or he, or he would just say, "I don't, I don't like the way he talked to me." I mean, really, honestly, anything. And everyone would be like, "Well, okay, Fred, sounds good." Pretty much. Yeah. Go ahead and clean up the rug. Yes, get some Scotch Guard. Like whatevs. You know, he's he's gonna he's gonna be allowed to do it. So, well, I'm really looking forward to this finale. I'm very much looking forward to. It. There's tons of conversation over on the Handmaid's Tale Gilead online on Facebook. And remember to use your spoiler tags and bump it down twelve spaces. <laughs> XOXO, your admins. <laughs> We are two of them. Um, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to starting to kind of uh, put the pieces together of this season. You know, always when you get a finale, you get a chance to kind of like exhale and take a look back at like where you started and where you ended. And that's always like an interesting time to be like, all right, what journey did we actually take here? And where did our characters start and end? So I'm looking forward to all of that. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show thanks for listening pot people thanks for listening to my mom and dad you don't have to go home but you can't stay here just go home folks